Thank you for tuning in to RadiCards.com for RadiCards yeah. podcast. Yeah. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and we have uh, Ryan Daly joining us again. And we're going to be talking about some updates in baseball that happened over the last week. And uh, let's just get right into it here. Number one. Right, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. Happy uh, to be here. Yeah, of course. Uh, number one, Ronald Kuna, uh, as you might remember, he got hurt. He got injured running across first base. He twisted his knee and hurt his back. So he's actually um, scheduled to work out at Braves Spring Training Camp in Orlando, Florida. After that, he will begin a rehab assignment prior to joining the club again. So it looks like he's going to be okay. And I'm actually really happy to, he- to, to to see that, hear that, because I know it's it's scary to see guys' knees go out or whatever. Um, and the footage was actually quite um, scary. So I was actually really pleased with how quickly it looks like he'll be returning to the club. Yeah, it's it's definitely encouraging. And for the sake of the game and the sake of the hobby and for the sake of those poor Braves fans, I mean, <laughs> get back as soon as you can. Right, right. <laughs> that injury looked really freaky, and I'm sure it freaked out a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's looking like it's maybe not as bad as uh, people were letting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good news. And, you know, hope the best for him. Yeah, truly. And I know that, that some of the investors are going to yeah, be happy about hearing that he's going to be returning to the club sooner than later. So good stuff, man. I'm glad that that's happening. We'll be able to see some more of him before the the, the, the season's out. So moving on, uh, Bryce Harper is up for free agency in 2019. So he's expensive. You know, he's he's a performer. It's very expensive. So interested teams will have, uh, they'll have to fork over some serious cash to get him, which means this, the market that this will be smaller for guaranteed interest. Uh, he's mm-hmm. struggled a bit this season, but um, currently leads the Nationals with 19 home runs. And, uh, you know, as a, like a franchise, face of the franchise player, um, teams that need a guy like that will probably be more in the running than those teams that don't. So, for example, the Yankees have Giancarlo Stanton on a huge contract he just picked up with the Yankees, 13-year, right. $13.325 million, and they already have Aaron Judge. So they already have their franchise players, Yep. even though they have the deepest pockets right in the market. Sure. Um, you know, there's no wrong answer here. Just it, It's nice... It, it, it'd be, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up going in 2019 and if there's going to be support built around him. And that's going to be a huge factor in whether or not he goes and joins a team, right? So, Yeah. I think the sleepers in this potential deal um, in, the, uh, uh, in the off season, because he's a Vegas guy, um, obviously Las Vegas does not have a baseball team yet mm-hmm. uh, i would think that arizona and the colorado rockies would be in the mix just because they they have money to throw around um they're both considered hitters ballparks especially in colorado we all know that the ball just sort of flies out of there when you're at five thousand feet in the air um and i just from my uh, observations of him on Twitter and him in the media, it seems like he wants to sort of head back West. 
mm-hmm. where he's from. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Rockies or the Diamondbacks make a big move for him. And Stanton has sort of set the floor, I guess, for these huge free market acquisitions. So right. 325 mil for Stanton. Uh, Kershaw got 300 mil, I think, uh, five or six years ago. So that's about the figure you're looking at for a guy like Bryce Harper. Um, I think you could critique his offensive numbers a lot. Um, he's not really a guy that hits for average. He hits a ton for power. He hits, you know, 30, 40 home runs every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, he's a face of the franchise kind of guy. Like if you picture a face of the franchise type player, it doesn't really get much better than Bryce Harper. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah, you know, he's young. He's charismatic. He's got great hair. He's, you know, <laughs> he hits the long ball. It's like it's he checks all these boxes. Um, and I feel like for a, a team like Arizona and uh, Colorado, they don't necessarily have that guy right now. Mm-hmm. So from a marketing point of view, I think it makes a lot of sense for those teams to really go after him. And like I said, he's from Las Vegas. He sort of knows that like uh, that sort of mountain time corridor. I don't know what, what to call it. Right. <laughs> like the four corners area of the yeah. States. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I really hope he doesn't go to the Yankees. That would be such a boring storyline <laughs> to, to see play out or the Red Sox or any like the Dodgers. Like, come on. Right. Let's see him go to like a team and really like lift them up out of, you know, like a World Series drought. Let's let's see the Rockies win a World Series or let's see the, the Diamondbacks win a World Series with with Bryce Harper or the Pirates or the, yeah, or the Pirates because <laughs> they just they just drafted out their um, okay, who was their star that they had Andrew McCutcheon. So yeah, they, they traded him away. Yeah, they don't have like a guy and you know Garrett Cole's now with the Astros so you know they could use a guy yep. like but does Bryce Harper really want to spend time in Pittsburgh you know what if what if he went to the yeah. Angels you know like with with Mike Trout you know I mean these are other things I think about like if he wants to stay in the West you know, why not mm-hmm. the Angels I mean the Angels deserve some World Series time at some point <clears throat> Oh, there, there are a lot of teams that are deserving of, of Harper's talent and of his um, of his namesake. Um, so it's it's certainly going to be interesting. Also, considering last year's off season, which we saw a lot of major league general managers sort of being stingy, for lack of a better word, with their big contracts. I mean, Jake Arrieta did, didn't get a contract until I think spring training started. I mean, there's a lot of holdouts on both sides um, for the big free agents. Um, so the money wasn't just doled out very easily. Right. So yeah. I'm I'm curious to see what the GMs do with the Harper kind of guy. Same with M- Manny Machado, who's also a free agent in the offseason. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting to see what sort of contract they get, if it's going to be way overvalued or if it's going to be sort of undervalued, um, what team gives it. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. Whatever happens, I, I hope that he's continues to remain successful and to continues to have a, a following because I know when key players get traded, I feel like some of their following just falls off. I mean, look at the King Griffith Jr. market when 2000 he was traded oh, to the Cincinnati Reds. Gosh. Like, not not so, I mean – not only did fans in, in the stadium in like Seattle, you know, 
resent that. But the hobby, people stopped collecting Griffey after oh, 99. God. They were like, well, if I, he's not featured in Mariner's outfit. I, I don't care. I've seen that. Yeah. And, you know, there's no wrong answer here. It's just that, you know, if you're, I always feel like if you're collecting a guy, you know, you should embrace his career. Like, you should embrace where he goes. You should enjoy, you know, and, and root for him wherever he is. And mm-hmm. this, this, it's kind of new to me when someone says, I don't collect him if he's in a certain uniform. It's very new. It's like a novel thing for me to digest <laughs> because as Frank, a Frank Thomas collector myself, when he went to the Blue Jays and the A's, you know, shuffled back and forth at the end of his career, um, I didn't really care. I thought it was kind of cool to see him in a different uniform. You know, it's kind of right. like, oh, that's cool. Like, what does he, what does he have in those, you know, like what cards what, can I get with him in an A's and Blue Jays uniform? Granted, I prefer to see him in an A's uniform over the Blue Jays. Blue Jays, their <laughs> uniform's kind of boring to me, but whatever. You know, if it's something I need, I'll grab it. And I don't really think about it. I don't really think, like, well, it's not White Sox. So this is kind of, like, new to me over the last couple of years. People saying, I only collect Frank Thomas when he's on the Chicago White Sox. I only collect King Griffey Jr. when he's wearing the Mariners. Mariners outfit. And I'm like, yeah. that's just, there's so much good stuff that came out in the product when he was with the Reds. There's so many cool pieces that like but 2000 and, and post stuff. And so oh, people yeah. just pass it up. I'm like, dude, there's like Donruss Elite Aspirations. There's there's so many different cool inserts that came out during that time, like gold refractors and whatever else. And so, um, and this stuff doesn't sell well because he's in a, a Reds uniform. It's really interesting. Yep. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, the the market for the different uniforms is very odd to me. Although I, I totally get it because guess what genius started getting into the hobby when Ken Griffey Jr. was traded to the Reds, this that was, guy. That was you. So I have <laughs> I have so much stuff of, of Griffey on the Reds, good stuff and bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just decided to hold on to it because I've looked at the market for the past, gosh, like almost 10 years. Yeah. And I've seen stuff on eBay yeah. and the Red stuff just doesn't sell. And... You know, harder, I could man. see if, if Harper goes to a small market team, I could see sort of the same thing happening. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I honestly, I'll still enjoy him as a ball player, regardless of where it ends up. Like, I, I don't, I honestly personally don't care. I'll still enjoy, you know, seeing his cards and, and wherever I'm going through cards. Like, I'll still enjoy reading about his, his performance. And, you know, I, I, that's that kind of thing doesn't doesn't like doesn't bother me. I'm cool. Like whatever whatever's best for the guy. Right. You know, he just moving on a little bit, he um he coined the phrase make baseball fun again. Which was about right. players <laughs> which was about players being able to inspire fans and future stars by showing more on field enthusiasm, like being excited about playing. I think right. it's really good to be positive and, and, and to be um enthusiastic about whatever it is you're doing. Like in baseball these guys are on contracts, you know, they're expected to perform, but they could, they should, you know, growing up, that whole thing was like, just go out there and have fun, you know, and the, on the little league or the parents, this is the kind of stuff that parents say to their kids is like, just go out there and have fun. Don't worry about it. And that's, yeah, that's the encouragement that Bryce Harper, I think created when he had, when he created this coin, this slogan, this phrase, make baseball fun again. I thought that was a really cool thing to think about that, He's really passionate about baseball, and he wants other people to be passionate about it too. Yeah, I think Harper um, sort of represents like a new crop of players that are coming out. 
Um, Harper's still really young. I think people forget that. Um, maybe it's because he looks a little older or it's because he started playing when he was like 18. Mm-hmm. But he's still really young, and I think he represents the sort of new wave of young players that are sort of going against like these quote-unquote unwritten rules of baseball, um, which is sort of like an old-timey thing. And, you know, like, for example, like if you hit a home run, you don't watch it go out of the park. You just round the bases. And if you watch it go out of the park, it's like considered a slight to the pitcher. But we're seeing that more and more and the pitchers don't care anymore. And it's it's like I said, it's just like one of these unwritten rules that are sort of um, becoming erased. And Harper is one of those guys um, that's helping do that. And. It's fun to see him. I think some people might construe him as kind of cocky and arrogant, but he's just – he's out there. Like you said, he's just having fun. And yeah. uh, it's its its nice to see guys like that that are very passionate about the game. Um, they sort of lay it all out there on the field. If he strikes out, he'll slam his helmet down on the plate. Um, you know, these sort of classic things. And uh, he's – like I said, like – you could argue his his offensive numbers maybe not what you would want them to be, mm-hmm. but from a face of the franchise point of view, I mean, he is like the ultimate face of the franchise just because the way he carries himself on the field. Right. It's so fun to watch. He puts butts in the seats like nobody else in the game. <laughs> so a couple of points here. Um, you know, you mentioned guys watching their ball get launched yeah. into the stands before they start running the bases. Yeah. <laughs> You know, in football, there's that whole showboating thing that they banned for a while. They banned it. Yeah, you can't do it. <laughs> but I think it, in recent times, they've, like, loosened up on that just a touch. You don't see, like, yeah. cutesy dancing happening, at you know, on the touchdown line. But you might see some, you know, colorful, small version of that happen. And honestly, right. I don't really care about any of that. All I care about is, like, whether or not they're performing and making the numbers. Yeah. I don't care if the guy's angry or slams his helmet down. All that, all that stuff to me is just more entertainment value for the fans. Absolutely. More stuff to talk about. So I none of that stuff bothers me. You want to showboat, showboat. Just don't take up 10 minutes of our time. You know, right. Showboat for 10 seconds and get on with it. Um, yes. Slam your helmet down, run back in to the dugout and be done with it. Just don't waste time. That's all I ask. Don't waste my time because the games are already three and a half hours or whatever. You know, I don't want to see like the ump screaming at a manager for 20 minutes you know um i don't know if you remember back and i think it was 2012 when uh, uh zach granke maybe it was 2014 there was that big brawl at dodger stadium like oh yeah a couple of guys that. were got hurt during the thing and i think that was like all these players were involved and a couple of guys got hurt and i think that's when zach granke was he was injured for a, a small small bit in his you know, rookie cards were at that time very affordable. And then he came back up and he's, you know, dominant again, but whatever the case is that that's the kind of stuff that's, that's interesting when, when these kind of like serendipitous moments happen in baseball that are so completely out of the scope of the bell curve of events, you know, that you're like, Oh my, a mob that happened between the two teams on a baseball field. Like that's like, yep. that's something you talk about with your friends. Like, Oh, how was the game? It was amazing. There was a mob that was on the field. <laughs> like, Oh, it's great. What else happened? It doesn't really matter. There was a mob on the field. So yeah. it's like kind of fun to talk about those things. I don't encourage them because it's never good to see violence. I think it's, you know, 
I don't really want to see that. It's just when it happens, you have to like, right. it's hard to look away. Exactly. Like you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but it's fun to see a brawl, especially on a baseball field. <laughs> um, Cause they're usually just kind of like shouting matches. Um, right. But I remember a couple nights ago I was on like the MLB YouTube channel. I, I just, I was looking at all the videos and I sorted by most viewed. Oh yeah. And most of the videos have nothing to do with baseball. Like they, they happen to have, they happen to be during a baseball game, but they're either fan interactions right. or they are fights. <laughs> and that's sort of what people want to see. And um, like I said, the Bryce Harper kind of guys, I mean, they're just energetic and they kind of do what they feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why it's fun to watch him, whether you like him or not. I mean, he's he's a fun player to watch. So um, I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of Bryce Harper. I think he's awesome. He's oh, fantastic. Yeah, and he's interesting and he's got a great personality and he's charismatic. Yeah, so he's got a little temper. Don't we all? I mean, seriously? Like every now and yeah. then. I mean, whatever. So I, I, I'm a big fan of Bryce Harper. I think he's fantastic. And I, I really like that he coined this 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 phrase because it, it shows a lot of his character. He wants other people to be excited about baseball too. I like that. And you know, Going back to the brawl thing and the, the videos that, that get the highest amount of hits, when I was in business school, I um, wrote a paper on, on uh, consumer behavior and how customers are attracted to businesses that provide a novel behavior on each in- interaction. And when I go to a baseball game, I expect to see baseball. I don't expect to see brawls. So when they happen, it's like, oh, my gosh, that happened. Or like, right. you know, uh, uh you know, a fan interacts with the game and and, ca- and reaches over and catches a ball that, that actually that you know, one of the opposing team's players should have caught, and that mm-hmm. turns into like this controversy where they kick the, they eject the the fan from the game or whatever. Like yeah. these, these these situations you don't expect turn into the most interesting things that happen in baseball. You know, right? So I, I it's not surprising to me that those uh, those videos that get the highest amount of hits are those which provide the most unique types of situations that take place in baseball so sure cool stuff man i'm glad we got to talk about that i like i like that we were able to cover a little bit of bryce harper tonight i think he's um on his way and i, I look forward to seeing what happens next year it's gonna be huge it's gonna be huge <laughs> gonna be if fun. you don't like him avoid espn or any <laughs> other major sports outlet because that's all they're going to be talking about throughout the winter <laughs> right so fun. Moving on. Um, I don't know if you read about this or heard about this, but in 2018, MLB attendance is down by 6.5% compared to last season. Oh, interesting. So, I, w- I had always been told that it was sort of on the up and up, but this is kind of news to me. Sure, sure, sure. So now, okay, fans are drawn to games to see exciting plays as we kind of, you know, sort of touched on that in the previous point which is why competitive teams draw strong attendance numbers. Like, you know, guys like Aaron Judge and uh, Stanton and Bellinger and Otani. I mean, teams that have, and Trout, teams that have these players that are extravagant in talent. People want to go see that, you know? Right. People want to go see a two-time MVP or a multi-time consistent all-star. They want to go see crazy performances and home runs and strikeouts and everything else. And so... Teams that don't have those talents are at risk of drawing low attendance numbers. You know, we talked about the Pirates earlier in this podcast, and because they don't have Cole or McCutcheon anymore, who do they have now? 
and who do they who do fans look forward to seeing you know like this is kind of a question i sometimes think we always have new prospects coming up you know we always have new guys coming in but who do they have right now it's a veteran that without right. looking without looking that can draw attendance numbers because ticket sales are the most important thing right it's not so much the numbers who are actually attend the game it's the amount of tickets that are sold i don't you know it's like hey i'm gonna sell you five tickets do i care if you attended the game well be nice but i don't really care after you buy the tickets all we really care is getting your money right that's kind of <laughs> the thing here of course people yeah. it's rarer that you find people buying tickets and then not going to games i once sold tickets to a show my band was playing at a venue to some friends who actually ended up not going after they bought the tickets. I'm like, geez, thanks guys. <laughs> you guys spent 20 or 30 bucks on something you never got, you never got any value from. Like, yeah. But the, the venue doesn't care. And you know, honestly, like I, if I, yeah, the venue doesn't care. They just want to sell the tickets. And so I was right. kind of put, I was actually still kind of put off by that back then. I was like, eh, like distasteful. Like you want to buy tickets to my band and you don't go like that's, that's kind of, that's upsetting. But if you do, and going back to this, is, is, is if your team team does well, you draw numbers. And if your team doesn't do well, you don't draw numbers. Or you don't draw the numbers that you want. Fix sports, it's like a fickle, the fickle nature of sports, right? Like they love you when you're doing well and they hate you when you're, doing, when you're not doing well. And that's, right. that's the hardest thing to accept in life is that the reality of a lot of situations, you know, they love you when you're in this, you know, doing this, but they don't care about you when you're not doing that. Yeah. And and so it's, you know, interesting to think about that. So the biggest thing you can do as, as an owner or manager is to try to do everything you can to scout and uh, procure uh, quality talent to join your team as so that you can draw those numbers, those audience numbers, right? The other piece of that is just lower ticket prices by a dollar or whatever, some nominal change. But if you lower ticket prices, that might allow for a wider reach of people that are, you know, they, they can actually fork over whatever fee it is to, you know, maybe it is like, oh, if it was only one, two bucks less, I could probably afford it. Granted with, you know, right. granted with tick baseball tickets, probably want to lower them for some larger percentage than a dollar or two. But, you know, you get the idea is that like if you lower the price slightly, you can correct some of that a little bit. Well, in baseball, it's interesting because there's been a, a huge trend starting back in like the late 90s with Camden Yards and uh, Bush Stadium in St. Louis is that the, the ballparks now are built to be a little more intimate. So instead of holding 45, 50,000 people, they hold like 30, 35,000 people. And because of that, the tickets are more expensive, but it's a better experience for the fans they can afford to go because mm -hmm. you're a little closer to the action. It's a more intimate experience. And that's been a trend. I mean, we've seen so many old cavernous ballparks torn down and rebuilt right. um, Houston and in uh, Arlington and for the Rangers. Um, I mean, there's, you know, San Diego for the Padres. Um, there's a lot of examples, but like you said, it's just sort of, if you don't have a good team, like who cares what your ballpark is like there? I'm not going to pay, you know, 80 bucks to go sit up in the nosebleeds even if it is in a smaller stadium, it's not a good product to go watch. So why do I care? Um, and on the other side of things, as an Angels fan, um, the Angels tickets have always been very affordable. And 
that's one thing I'll give our owner credit for is that he's always made the beer prices and the food prices and the ticket prices very affordable. And we have one of the oldest stadiums in the MLB. Um, so it's if you sit up in the nosebleeds, it's not a great experience. Mm-hmm. But you can still afford it. You can still pay, you know, 30 bucks for a ticket and have like an okay seat. Whereas 30 bucks, I'd say in half the stadiums in the MLB wouldn't even get you in the stadium. Oh, wow. So it's it's interesting. You know, I think different owners and different management teams have their different styles. Um, But I don't really know what's going to get the attendance up overall um, in the MLB. I I think that the, the... Different sports, like the NFL has a lot of problems socially and politically. I mean, a lot of different things going on there. NBA has like an odd parity problem where there's the same two teams in the championships every year. And so I think the MLB has a lot of things going for it. Um, If you break it down by a team-by-team situation, um, it's hard to say what each team could do to improve attendance. Um, But I am surprised to see that 6.5%. Because I always thought that it was sort of on the up and up. Yeah, I mean, the only two things I can think of, and based on my research, is that, you know, quality talent and ticket sales are going to factor into people's allowance to go to a game. Right. And if concessions are really high, and they usually are, I mean, they're not, in my experience, they're comparable to concession prices at the movie theater, which are ridiculous. Yeah, movie theater, concert, you know, anything where you're trapped and you have to buy food or drink. Right, but it's going to be expensive. I will say that that the smart baseball teams have discount night, like it's one dollar, you know, Dodger Dog Night or whatever. And so, in those instances, those marketing strategies can help draw crowds because who doesn't want a dollar hot dog? You know, like that's so much cheaper than their normal multi-dollar price tag for those hot dogs. And so if sure. if the teams allow themselves to do more of the marketing and the concessions and the ticket prices and the bundle packs, and then also in addition to trying to acquire the best players they can with the budget that they have, you know, um, I think that that'll help. But so this is, yeah, it's kind of surprising, 6.5. But if you look at 6.5 of... 30, 30 and 40,000 uh, yield um, stadium. It's it's really a small number. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even know if you'd notice it. I mean, it's it's tiny, but good stuff. Moving on. Um, on 616 this past, this past Saturday. Yeah, Father's Day weekend. Right. Before the Dodgers played the Giants, a game in which they won 3-1, to one, the cast of The Sandlot that uh, re- reunited at Dodger Stadium for their 25th anniversary of the film's release. And after Makes they me g- feel old. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and after the game, they showed the film on the Dodger Stadium screens for fans to watch, which I thought was very tasteful. Um, that's awesome. I would have I loved to have been there. I think that's just so cool that they all came. I just like that. That movie is a very important staple of my youth. Oh, definitely. And I've I still to this day enjoy watching it, even though I'm you know, quite a bit older than I was in, in 90, <laughs> 93 when it came out. But uh, it's it's one of my favorite baseball movies, and I thought that was just really, really cool that that happened, that they all came together. And, you know, they're grown men like you and I, you know, and so 
One of the guys, Ham, he looks just the same as he ever did in yeah, the movie. Yeah, that's so funny. He looks exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. He's like a little bigger, yeah. but his hair is the same, his face is the same, his same. body is the same. It's <laughs> it's hilarious. And uh, No, it's, it's an amazing movie. It's one of those movies that I could just watch over and over and never get tired of. Never. Never uh, get tired of it. You uh, know, um, when I worked at the, the baseball card shop in Buena Park in 2010, one of the one of the um, patrons came in and um, asked if he, we had any Benny Rodriguez rookie cards. <laughs> and I was like, was he serious? Yeah. And I was like, you know, he's a figment of <laughs> an imagination of a producer on a movie. <laughs> it, it doesn't exist in baseball cards. Sorry. There might be some fake baseball card out there, but well, nothing... like the, 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 um, <laughs> the natural, um, with Robert Redford, you know, to commemorate the movie, they produced a baseball card of, Robert Redford as Roy Hobbs, his character in The Natural. Oh yeah, sure. You can still get those. They made it. You know, they're available. Uh, also with um, with Major League, right? Didn't they make baseball cards for so Tops Major been, League? Tops has been capitalizing on the um, casts of certain baseball movies. Yeah, uh, Bull Durham was one that they recently did. But you know, got to remember that you can find Kevin Costner on like some stuff when Bull Durham came out. I think. I want to say Star produced it. I can't remember, but whatever the case is, you can find a Kevin Costner baseball card, you know, of him, you know, in his his uniform and everything, which I think is really tasteful. A friend of mine has, I want to say, the original bat that was used in Field of Dreams in the, the like, oh, stadium cool. that he built. And he had those bats and those, those like, he was, you know, Right. They were using. He has one of those signed by Kevin Costner. One of the actual bats that was used in that movie for that scene. I just thought that was so cool. That's pretty cool. Super cool. So, you know, um, gosh, we're way off topic with this. What were we going with this? The, the <laughs> baseball cards for the 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 Sandlot. Sandlot. I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if if Tops or somebody produced. Probably tops. I can't imagine another another company be able to have get the the license and the, the the permission rights to do that. Um, to create the 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 cards for if they haven't already, you know, maybe right. I'm missing something. But uh, yeah, those are those are those are you know, it's really like I said, it's a it's a very important part of my past and my history and 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 the sport of baseball and baseball cards i remember the scene the scene in the movie that i love is the scene where he he babe ruth knocks on the, the, the benny rodriguez's um closet door and out comes you know babe yeah, ruth the and talks the ghost <laughs> and uh yeah and, and he's talking to him and then he looks at hank aaron's rookie card he's like hank aaron i don't know why but can i have this and he's like yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> and it's like in a top loader in one of those like framed screw downs that yeah. used to be popular in the 90s and i was like man that's so cool he has the 54 tops Hank Aaron rookie card. Like that was a yeah, scene just... I always looked forward to because it <laughs> featured baseball cards. I thought that was so cool. So rad. But in no, the... on, a, on, a, on a similar note, I always thought, because that movie was supposed to take place, what, like in the early 60s? 62. Yeah, okay. So a Babe Ruth autographed baseball in 62, like what is that worth? And then also the, the ball that he ends up with at the end from uh, – the guy that lives beyond the Darth baseball Vader. field. <laughs> yeah, for Darth Vader. <laughs> Darth Vader's baseball collection. Um, he gives him a ball signed by some of the 50s Yankees, including, uh, or not, not the 50s, I thought it was the, the 27. 20s. 
The 27 Yankees, the Murderers yeah, yeah, Row. Yeah, so it was Babe Ruth and like a bunch of other Murderers Row kind of players. And I was I always wondered, like, how much was that ball worth in 1962? A cool hundred. Obviously, it was worth <laughs> it's worth a ton now. But yeah, exactly. I was like, is it really? I mean, that was such a weird time to be into like sports memorabilia because it was all sort of fresh in your mind. I mean, you're touching on something most of us try to avoid that that you know you're touching on the <laughs> modern right <laughs> the modern take on collectibles industry that took place in the early 60s that may yeah. not have actually even taken place yeah who knows but still, like the reason why a babe ruth baseball sign today is worth so much is because people didn't handle them much back in the day and you try it's hard to find ones that are in good shape i mean there's a, just saying like the vintage baseball cards thing the reason why they're yeah, so rare is, is because they're trashed 90 percent of the time so yep they were that's, toys that's a, that's a good thing to think about though that's a good observation that you know how much was a 54 tops aaron worth in 62 and I didn't know they had top loaders back then, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they had screw downs back in 62. So I, there are these like hiccups that yeah. if you, if you look at the, the, the film and you can pull them out and yeah, I think, we'll forgive them. Though. I think, I think some of us <laughs> who, who watched that movie are probably sl- crying inside a little bit hearing this because yes. like, you're so true. You know? Yeah. But I think it's a great movie. Yeah. There, there are a few movies, um, that involves sports collectibles, baseball cards, or whatever, that are just very cringy to someone like me who collects. And it's like, oh my god. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> that card is worth so much money, or that ball is worth so much money, or you know, whatever. <laughs> well, uh, there was there was some baseball themed, you know, um, scenes in Little Big League, and that came out in the uh, 93, 94. In nine, yeah, early nineties. So that was so like at the at the height of the. Uh, of the hobby in terms of well that was like in the middle of the boom so that was yeah. 94 little big league was that came out in 94 and that had a couple of scenes that were themed around baseball cards i thought that was cool he's holding up he's like sitting in bed holding up a 1993 score of the player that he's about to can and he's like man i really <laughs> would like this guy to be better so i don't have to can him and he's like well sorry i gotta can you <laughs> The guy gets really upset, and then he hires him later to be a hitting coach. It's so interesting that people are hired in to be hitting coaches when the very reason they were fired is because they couldn't hit. So it's like but they couldn't hit. <laughs> you couldn't they hit. They can coach, apparently. You can, I don't, yeah, you, I don't get. You couldn't it. hit, but I'm going to hire you to train other people that can't hit. It's like it's so weird right. to me. Anyway, good stuff. I thought that was cool. I would have loved to have been there and seen that, but you know, whatever. Life happens. Moving on. Um, Topps' exclusive licenses have been renewed to well past 2020. Right. So we we talked about this in a previous podcast that, you know, if companies monopolize, they have no reason to innovate because they don't have competitors. Right. right? But competition is really important for business because it keeps it gives customers choice. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what this means to collectors uh, um, is that they're going to see just, I guess, more of the same. But Tops is actually more done, the same. More of the same. Tops has actually done really well with their Tops Now and their Living Set yeah. stuff, um, and I think that they're very innovative in those capacities. Um, so I, I like to see more of that happen in the future, even though they own the licenses. Okay, mm-hmm. there is the argument that if 
If this were in any other market, Tops would be sued for violating antitrust laws. But I don't think that that would be the case now. That was maybe the case in 1980 before Fleer and Donruss entered the market because there weren't mm -hmm. other competitors. But we already have other competitors. They just don't have the licenses. So customers still have a choice. So in that capacity, they're not, in fact, violating any antitrust laws at all because right. customer choice isn't the, isn't, isn't the pr issue here. It's these other companies don't have the MLB and MLBPA licensing, which honestly, right. honestly, sometimes I think like collectors should stop whining about that and just to collect for the pure enjoyment of a collecting <laughs> enjoying. Like seriously, flat out, I sometimes think that because I actually like seeing Panini and Upper Deck and Leaf do all their own unique things and they do well in certain things that they do. Mm -hmm. Like Panini does really well with the um, FIFA World Cup stickers. Yeah. Uh, they do exceedingly Definitely. well in that category. Upper, Upper Deck, Deck does great in hockey. They do great with hockey. I mean, that's like their sort of bread and butter. I don't think, does Tops even touch hockey that much? I don't even know. Whatever the case, Upper Deck does it really well. Yeah, that's like their, their thing. I want to say so, that I want to say that Upper Deck has the exclusive license. So I don't think Tops can produce any hockey presently. Leaf produces amazing products, even though they don't have the licensing. I mean, I just sometimes I feel oh, like yeah. collectors should ease off the whole like I got to see team logos and team names to be happy kind of thing. Like, dude, you have choices. Don't buy it if you don't like it. Like, buy something else. Like, whatever. And you can still have great baseball cards, even though that those things aren't added in. It's like yeah, it's like flair. Like, it's nice to have it, but you don't absolutely have to have it to enjoy something. Collectors make a bigger deal about it than than than, than they should. I, do I think the other companies should have those licenses too yeah absolutely i do i don't like the fact that 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 tops has that exclusivity i i, I honestly feel like tops mlb and mlbpa all need to get together and discuss how um it happened to where only tops gets the licenses why why is mlb and mlbpa why can't they provide those licenses to other companies that's what i want to know like why is it that did tops pay mlb and mlbpa massive amount of money to say only us and nobody else yeah maybe i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> so i don't really I, know I, why I that happens i just know that we're looking at the same situation as that as it exists presently in into the indefinite future we don't know when it's going to end my observation is this is and you have a, a better marketing background than i do but my observation is that mlb as an entity has been very aggressive um, over the past six, seven years with social media, um, internet content, um, things geared more towards the younger viewer. Um, and so has Tops. I think Tops has been also very aggressive um, on the online market. So if your only conduit for sports cards is tops, it makes it a lot easier to get your brand and your message across if you're only working with one company. Um, and I think they've done a really good job. I think that tops has been like surprisingly amazing um, over the past several years um, where they could have just sort of sat back and produced the same old crap. You know, they've actually been kind of fun to follow and they, they produce some interesting products. Um, so that's what I would think. I mean, like if you're going to give your only license to a sports cards company, 
it's it's got to be tops. I mean, well, okay. So <clears throat> these are interesting things to talk about. First of all, I don't think that tops having the license is gonna is gonna create some sense of lack of innovation. I don't think that. You know, I don't think that. Here's why: Upper Deck, Panini, and Leaf. Okay, customers have options. Like, we have choice. We can buy tops. We can buy you know, cards from one of the other three players in the market. But whatever the case is that customers have options. It's not a question of options. It's just a question of like, do these options have what I want them to have? Right. And if that's the case, like, dude, nothing's perfect, okay? There's no perfect solution. There's no perfect situation that, you know, like the past existed and it's so great because it's in the past. Like the <laughs> 90s were awesome because of, tons of product tons of brands and the categories were you know vertical in a large way and they're horizontal like in a big way too there was there's just a lot of choice now there's still a lot of choice but they're the choices are produced by four different brands but each of the four different brands produce a lot of different options every year sure so you have it's not a question of options it's not a question of choice it's a question of consumer preference when it comes down to like oh i'd rather see the logos and and team names I get that. I like that too. But dang it, Panini has produced some amazing stuff over the years. Yeah, I'm like, and they're still those selling. Are, those are amazing cards. I don't care what anybody says. Those cards look fantastic. Do they have the logos and team names? No, but do I care? No. Yeah, I, and, and I don't a lot look, of people don't care because I, they're still selling very well. I don't buy cards because they have the team logos. If I did, I'd have a, a very much smaller Frank Thomas collection. And I, so I buy cards for what they look like. Oh, that's a cool looking card. I think I'll grab that. I don't even, sometimes I only pay attention that doesn't have a logo on it. doesn't have a team name. I like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like when we talked about this earlier in the, the podcast that if a player gets moved over to another team and they, they lose some of their audience because of that, you know, right. when I see it, I don't even pay attention. I'm just like, oh, I, I need this Thomas. And yeah. It's a great price. And I don't pay attention as I, I know it's he's in the A's and Blue Jays, but I don't think about it. I don't add that into what my decision making process, like whether or not the the card has or doesn't have team names and logos. I don't add that into my decision making process. What I look mm-hmm. for is rarity and cost, and whether or not I can afford it. Like, you know, okay, will it fit in my collection? And if where I know I stopped buying modern, but there's some things like yeah, depending on depending on the price, I might grab it. These are the kinds of things I look at, like, and then some things I'm like, oh, this is a really nice card. This is a really nice run of cards. These cards are beautiful. I'll, let's see if I can grab one of those just to have. So, right. But I'm I'm talking about this from my perspective, and I get that there are collectors that don't like that Panini and Leaf and Upper Deck don't have the MLB and MLBPA license, and you know everybody's got to do what they got to do. I just think that it's not a it's it's not a question of choice here though, because customers always have choices. So I just want to touch on that. I think that it's important to talk about this because I know that the hobby's gonna there's gonna be some blogging about this and there's you know it's gonna be breaking news for the next little while and then it'll calm down and yeah. people will get on with their lives about it. But um I, I it's it's not a it's not a question of violating any antitrust laws, I don't think, because because cust- customer options are exist. This might have been the case in nineteen eighty before Fleer and Donruss entered which is why Fleer and Donruss entered. Tops is doing a great job, as are the other companies. You know, We don't see Upper Deck in baseball anymore, but Upper Deck, does, they capture another category of collectors, and that's important. Absolutely. I think if, if Upper Deck was really 
bent on getting into the baseball market, I think they would prove themselves to the MLB. And it's obvious that hasn't happened. Um, I, I do remember the heyday of the late 90s, early 2000s of all these different companies and brands getting involved in the hobby. And it was great. But there was also a lot. I mean, it was like oversaturation of these weird new ideas with f- varying prices and weird products. Um, and you would walk into a hobby store and look in the baseball section and there could be like 20 different products going on. Right. And it's like, all right, so what do I buy? What has value? What, what could I get out of this product? And especially if you're a younger collector, if you don't really have a lot of money to throw around, it's, it's a lot nicer just to walk into a hobby store or walk into a Walmart or a Target and say, all right, 2018 Bowman, done. Or 2018 Topps Heritage, right. done. Like that's the product that I want. Um, where, I mean, like I said, back in the 90s, early 2000s, it was, it was a really fun time for collecting because there was some really interesting ideas being thrown around. Right. Um, but a lot of those ideas haven't lasted into the current day. Like we still sort of see the classic, you know, refractor, chrome products, autograph, uh, game used, like these basic tenants of, of cards. Um, and I think that's, you don't want to really confuse the consumer too much with all these random new ideas just to try and be different. Um, so like like you said, I think Topps is doing a good job, and uh, it's nice to just see, to be able to walk into a store and sort of see like a singular product from MLB and know what's going to be offered in that product. Yeah, you bring up a good point, and I talk about this in my book, is that too much choice is a problem. It can be a problem. Right. right. You know, too many options is paralyzing. If I see five options... I can in my peripheral, my line of sight, I can see five. Mm-hmm. If I see if if I go into a shop and I see twenty and I have to move my head to see everything, like left to right, top to bottom, maybe I'm like, God, that's I'm out of here. Too much. That's too much. Like I don't I don't want to spend all this time choosing. I just want to have a small number of options and be done with it. Um, I th- I honestly think that. Uh, there are still too many products, <laughs> but they're just nowhere yeah. near the amount of products that were say in like 2004 when, right. I mean, the amount of products that came out in 2004 is, I don't think had been matched before that. And I don't think has been matched since, uh, it was, no, it was I think you're right. Huge. How the landscape availability for what was produced in 2004 was just it's, it's monolithic. I mean, it's just it's so it's too much. Now it seems like every time I turn around, every two weeks, there's something new. I still kind of think that's too many. So for me, um, I try to pick like one or two and be like, okay, I like these. Like back when I was doing modern runs of Frank Thomas a couple of years ago, I'd pick like two or three s- sets and just focus on getting the singles for those. Um, mm-hmm. and Thomas is featured in so much stuff that I have to just pick a small number of them because time and money, like. I'd have to sit in front of eBay every day for like eight hours to get everything. It's just, I got other things I got to take care of in my life. Like I don't have that kind of that luxury. If there were two like a clone of me, I'd be like, all right, this is the clone of Patrick that just sits <laughs> in front of eBay and beds on, on stuff for me. I always thought it'd be interesting is that if I um, 
have a situation where I'm completely, you know, secure, I would hire somebody to look for cards on me for eBay and then they'd make a percentage of the amount of money they spent um, to give them incentive to get stuff right. for me. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting thing to think about. But Personal I, assistant. Yeah, yeah. Cards. Well, I have a VA, but I just I thought it'd be interesting to get someone locally back. All right, your job is to find these cards. You know, yeah. here's here's my login for my eBay. You know, here's my login for my PayPal. You know, here's here's a an NDA you have to sign. You know, here's here's a contract. You're bonded. <laughs> you know, so uh, I would I would set it up to where I didn't have to do it myself. I would automate the process in some way, but that's just the way I think. But right. going back to it here is that I'm not really worried that Tops has the exclusive license yet again. Yes, it would be nice to see other companies have that license too, but that it it's not the case is not going to put any dent in my passion for the hobby. Zero. No. I will still go and buy cards from these other companies if I like them and, you know, if, if, if it sounds right to me. So anyway, I thought we'd touch on that. It's kind of an interesting point. Um, moving on. Tops and Adidas partner to bring us a stylish run of baseball card inspired cleats and trainers. Three unique styles exist, each featuring a chromed out refractor like finish and baseball stats wrapped around the shoe. <laughs> so really cool. cool. <laughs> so cool. Prices range from one ten to one forty. I just think that is so rad. I mean, I've seen I've seen the images of his shoes. If you Google search them, you can find them yourself. They look like baseball cards. They're awesome. They're so rad. Yeah. I think that's such a cool concept. Uh, the, the refractor finish on these these shoes is just very back to the future. They're pretty cool. I, I generally try and avoid corporate sort of logos in any clothing I wear. <laughs> But I got to say, when I first heard about this and I started checking out the shoes, I was like, that's pretty cool. I mean, it'd be fun to have shoes that said tops on them for whatever reason. I don't know why, but it's it's just they look fun. And I think it's really smart of tops to sort of get into that game because sneakers are so um, popular right now. Mm. And it's like, why not? I mean, if Adidas is OK with it, throw throw a tops logo on there. <laughs> Well, I, I would I would like to at least assume that there's some, you know, ultra limited print run on these because I can't imagine that they're going to. Oh be, yeah. The, you know, the, I can't imagine that this is going to be a, an ongoing thing. But I, I do like the co-branding concept. I always have because it gives two brands an opportunity to meet new markets, to like you know, uh, reach new markets. People that are fans of Adidas get exposed to Tops. People that are fans of Tops get exposed to Adidas, and so I I think that's a really cool concept. And yes, to your point that like the the sneakerhead uh, industry is very very popular right now, and so this is a perfect addendum to that uh, that allows both companies to capture um, sort of their footprint in the industry, in the market, in the category. So that's really cool. I really like these shoes. I'm not going to buy them myself. It's not really my thing. I just like them. I think they're cool looking. Yeah, I'd agree. I I'm definitely leaning towards not buying them. There is a part of me that wants to buy some, especially like the basic trainers mm -hmm. from Adidas for like 110 bucks, mm -hmm. which which isn't insane for a pair of athletic shoes these days. Right. But the question is, if I buy these, do I wear them? Or no. Or do I leave <laughs> do I leave them in the box and just like you sit put them on in a box ears. and put them in the uh, in the closet, <laughs> like all the other shoes that you end up buying that aren't yeah. shoes you would wear. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, this the question that I have is like, would this be a good investment to buy them and then like in ten years be like, dude, I got the tops and Adidas shoes. Oh my gosh, tops, you got the tops and Adidas shoes are amazing. How much you want for them? A thousand. Like, like I don't yeah. know what the because when. I don't know if you remember the Back to the Future shoe that like the high top sneaker from the second oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, that was brought back, and it was like hugely popular like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, I think about like as a as a temporary retainer, do I buy this, hold on to it, let it appreciate in value, and flip it in ten years? That's the only reason why I would ever purchase these shoes, just to have a mint condition. Like, oh my gosh, ten years, like. Yeah, they're they're now nobody nobody has them. You know, they're impossible to find. <laughs> but you know, sneakerheads are hopefully it's going to capture the sneakerhead category, even though it's a baseball card inspired thing. Surely there are guys that collect sneakers that are, you know, at one point or currently collect baseball cards. Yeah, right. I know I know at least one of them, and so um, th- that's that. This is kind of the angle that I take is like, do I buy them to to sell them later down the line? Like, I wouldn't have any problem selling them, you know. Like, I'm not married to the the shoes thing. I don't really, I didn't, I don't really do the shoe thing myself. I I buy my skate shoes, and I buy my walk around shoes in the winter, and then I have sandals, and then I have my workout shoes, and then I have my indoor shoes when it gets cold out. Like, that's pretty much where the conversation ends with me. They're very utilitarian. I buy shoes sure. for utility, but with something like this, I'd look at it as an investment. Like, how can I flip it around in a couple of years? So cool stuff. I like that, that this was created. Really cool shoes. Um, if you haven't seen the photos yet, hop on Google and check them out. Really cool stuff. Really dig those. Those are awesome. Moving on. Um, a seven-year-old boy bought a bag of baseball cards at Goodwill in Apple Valley, Minnesota, and found a small packet of clear rocks. <laughs> oh. Immediately thought it was meth, right? Yeah. <laughs> so after the police investigated, it was confirmed they weren't drugs of any kind, but believed to be moisture-resistant silica. Oh, interesting. But, is, I mean, come on. Inspect the stuff you, you, you give away, please. Oh, okay? definitely. And then inspect before you buy it, all right? So I just inspect before you give away. Whoever gets it, inspect it before you sell it, and whoever buys it, inspect it before you buy it. Like... There's an operation here. This lasted all the way to the, the step three, you know? So, like, yeah. the question that I think is, like, is somebody going to get fired at Goodwill for not inspecting? <laughs> like, that's the inspection guy. It's like, well, I was tired that day. I had an all-nighter doing inspecting for, like, 2 a.m. I had to come <laughs> the next It's like, do I, <laughs> do I think about that? Like, somebody getting fired in through the process? That shouldn't have happened, you know? But... Uh, really dubious that that took place, and I would be scared too. I'd be like, great, I bought drugs accidentally. <laughs> yeah, it's just what I need. <laughs> no, I've I've heard a few. I have a few friends that have purchased jackets from Goodwill or pants, like things that have deep pockets. Yeah, and they found anything from like twenty bucks to like a lighter or to you know whatever in between. Right, and it does sort of make you question like what goes on in those collecting rooms? Are they, they're just not checking anything. I mean, <laughs> you're looking at big city collecting rooms and goodwills. They don't, I don't think they're gonna have time to, yeah, they don't to have go time through to all anything. this it's stuff. Like so much quantity. You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't, in an ideal world, <laughs> inspection would take place at three stages, but we don't live in an ideal world. We never have, and we never will. So this stuff is going to happen, and it's entertaining for reading and for podcasting. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. 
You know, I'm just glad it's yeah. not drugs and it was silica. But if you look at the picture that's found online for this thing, it looks like it could easily pass as drugs. Cause yeah, it's usually in like those packets that say "do not eat, not consumable." But this is like in a little plastic, like two section, two inch, sli- two sides of a of a bag that have been stapled together with these like clear rocks inside. It does look like meth. Like that's how it feels. Like it's just this the the presentation of it very much leads itself to be seen as potentially being drug related. So I'm glad it's not. And the kid was okay. So happy for that. Good stuff. Good stuff. Moving on. Mariners fan catches pop fly using a hollowed out watermelon during a pregame show where one lucky fan used an inanimate object to catch a ball. (laughs) In this case, a piece of fruit. As you do, of course. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Go to any game. I expect to catch a ball with a piece of fruit. That's like a no brainer. Absolutely. I usually go with a cantaloupe, but you know, right, watermelon right. works I'm too. More, I'm more of a honeydew guy myself, but I appreciate yeah. seeing the other, the other melons, <laughs> yeah, being used to catch <laughs> balls. Like this is pretty standard behavior. You go to a game, you catch a ball with a watermelon. That's yeah. like run of the mill scenario. Everybody knows this. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what the, uh, uh, what's his name, Zach, Zach Hample. The foul goal, the oh, foul yeah. ball, like right. God. Yeah. What do you think about this? What if he if, if he was like if he was given the challenge of catching a ball with a inanimate object, if he was able to do it or not? You know what I would choose for him to catch the ball with another baseball. <laughs> oh, the hook, interesting. <laughs> Here's a baseball. What do I do with this? You catch another baseball. A giant baseball or just a normal <laughs> no, it's a size standard baseball. standard normal size baseball. <laughs> That would get some hits on his YouTube channel. So, yeah, this is something fun to think about, right? That's fun. I mean, there's always clips. It seems like every month there's a clip of somebody catching it in their beer, which I have always wanted to do. I mean, I've always wanted to catch a foul ball. I've never caught a foul ball or a home run. Mm. But uh, if you catch it with your beer, I think that's, like, extra cool. Um, Or, like, with your nachos, like, with some sort of food or beverage, whatever you have in your hand. A watermelon is definitely um, kind of out there, but uh, leave it to the Mariners to to think of that shenanigan. I think it's really great marketing, <laughs> though. It's fun. It is. And, and if you if you look at the concept of a watermelon, like the design of it, if you carve that out, that actually makes for a very nice catching mitt. Because yes, it does. It's like it, it's ovular shaped, and so if you carve out a piece of it, you can have the ball fall into it very um, orderly, and it mm-hmm. would work. And so I actually thought that was kind of cool. It's a fun, like, pregame thing. Kind of fun to watch when you're waiting for the game. What a great pregame show activity. Instead of getting, like, T-shirts shot at a high, you know, pulse rifles, essentially, you're getting a water, someone with a watermelon catching a baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, going back to the the attendance numbers we were talking about. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe more teams should be thinking about these uh, (laughs) fruit-related audience interactions. I, I, the more I think about it, I, I think that um, a bushel of bananas mostly resembles the shape of a glove right. in the human hand. So yeah, that, yeah. I think that's what I would have gone with in the end. All right, so uh, what do I catch the ball with? <laughs> well, here's a bundle of bananas. And yeah, yeah have a good time. Bananas. <laughs> you I can be... sort of slide your fingers in there somehow. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be more funny if you gave the guy one banana. Just one, yeah, just one. One. Sorry. It's a what, big what banana. Am I catching? <laughs> no, it's a normal size banana. What yeah. am I catching the ball with? And the guy hands him like this 
overripe banana with like brown spots <laughs> on it. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> uh, moving on though, birthdays. On six twelve, Hideki Matsui turned forty four, and he actually in two thousand three you know, was was the prospect for the Yankees. He was the guy. Forty four, and that just sort of goes back to how Japanese players get. Um, they get a hard time when they come to MLB because they're already, you know, like in their late 20s. I mean, at the age of 44, if Hideki Matsui was born in America, he would have had a much longer career. Well, isn't it the case um, that they have to spend so many years in Japan or wherever they're from before so they So that come was over the here? case, like when Ichiro and Matsui, when they were pros in Japan— mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say it was nine years of service time you right. had to yeah. play in Japan. And because of Shohei Otani, I, f- I feel like I know – I should know more about this. But I, I, there's some sort of loophole where you can come here before that nine-year mark, um, which is why Otani, he's – I think he's like 23 or 24. Right. Um, where is – you know, 10 years ago, he might have had to wait until his late 20s to come here. Um, so I'm actually surprised to see that Matsui is only 44 because in my mind, I always thought he was an older player. Well, he started because... he started playing baseball in uh, 1993. And then he didn't right, come yeah, here until yeah, 10 was, years later in 2003, yeah, which is exactly. 11 if you count that, if you count that, yeah. that last year. But um so he, you know, he and Ichiro, Ichiro also, you know, in 93. So if you look at that, you see that, yeah, if they were here much earlier on, Ichiro would have beat Pete Rose and his, you know, hits record, you know, and it would be, mm-hmm. it would be in stone here in the States. I think Matsui, I don't know what, how he would have performed here if he just came over in 93 and started playing because... We've had a lot of guys come over younger that their careers didn't really amount to too, too much. But with Matsui, he, I think he had a pretty decent career despite what I feel is an early retirement. Yeah. No, he, he had a great career. And I think with with Ichiro or Matsui, I mean, if they would have come over – you know, like in the mid to late nineties, as opposed to 2001, 2003. I mean, it would have been a much different picture for both those guys Still be the same in terms age, of though. career numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Matsu is still um, 44. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, happy belated birthday, uh, Mr. Matsui. So he's a, a he's really a, fun player. I mean, yeah. he was uh, obviously he was a monster on the Yankees. He played, I think, for a season or two on the Angels, and I loved watching him play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just just a great guy all yeah. around. He's I, I think if you think about the top five Japanese baseball players to make a name for themselves in America, he's he's got to be top five, right? I I also look up to Matsu. I remember in 2003 he was the prospect, and I was just getting back in the hobby, and I was trying to pull his cards, and I did pull a few. He actually he's a role model for uh, Otani. In fact, if you, I talked about this before, is it if you look at the batting stance of Hideki Matsui and the batting stance of Shohei Otani, 
You can see a very firm resemblance. Uh, they're very they're similar. Both, they're both lefties, right? Uh, yes. And so you can see a very firm resemblance of those two batters. And I thought that was cool. Another cool fact about Matsui, he's a great character. He's got great character. Um, he buys, he bought, I think the, the story was that he was, he bought lunch for the whole PR team when he was coming in and then they, they <laughs> bought him lunch one time and then he bought them lunch again. And they went back and forth for his career that he just took care of the guys that were covering him. I think that's right. Don't quote that's me on awesome. that, but I think that from what I remember reading about him, he had a great character in this way. So happy 44th birthday to Hideki Matsui. On 615, Tim Lincecum turned 34. You know, he's had a great career, I think. You know, it's I I look forward to seeing him pitch with I think the Rangers this year. Yeah, I think you're right. The Rangers signed him to some sort of minor league deal. Yeah. And he's obviously not made any major league appearances this year. Mm-hmm. Um the Rangers are not the best team this year so maybe we'll see him at some point if they just sort of want to you know <laughs> see see what he's got and call him up and give him a go but obviously um if you were following baseball last year Tim Lincecum made a a comeback attempt with the Angels mm-hmm. which was not not successful at well that all. was that was in 2016 Twenty okay, so I mean either way, so he's he's tried to make a comeback before, right? And it, it did not work. Yeah. Um, in thirty four, um, I mean I hate to say this, but I guess it's sort of an older age in yeah. baseball years. Yeah. And if you're a pitcher and you're not producing and you're thirty four, it's 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 a big question mark. Although that being said, I, I'm not. I don't want to be negative. He was like one of the most amazing pitchers for a long time, yeah. and I loved watching him pitch for the Giants. He his World Series performances and his playoff appearances, I mean, unbelievable. I think they're going to be historic. You know, a hundred years from now, when people are looking back on uh, pitching performances, yeah. Tim Lincecum is going to be in that conversation for sure. Yeah. Back-to-back Cy Young Awards in 08 and 09. And in 08, his win-loss percentage was .783. He won 18 and lost 5. I mean, that's like pretty significant. And so I I actually, I really liked watching him too. And, you know, to to his credit, when he, he only played nine games with the Angels in 2016. And he lost six and won two. Yeah, that's Um, why I played nine games, because he stunk. (laughs) But I mean, whatever. It's like the the Rangers are giving him a shot, even if it is yeah. in their mining league system. He still gets to play some, you know, baseball while he's still. Yeah, I think he's still young, thirty four, whatever, you know. And so he's already made his money, right? He's right. he's he's already put it and made a name for himself. And so I, you know, I look forward to seeing him again. And if he doesn't ever produce at the major league level, like you know, whatever, he's still pitching at some in some capacity, and I think that's important. But he had a few years where he was just so dominant. And like I said, his playoff appearances and his World Series uh, performances were just just off the charts. Mm-hmm. And uh, his windup and his composure, I mean, he's one of the most exciting pitchers to watch that I can think of over the past 10 or 15 years. Yeah, um, He's like 5'10 or 5'11. He's not very big. Mm-hmm. 
and he's got this funky wind up where he really just whips his body yeah. around. Yeah, he does. Um, really which cool I, stuff. I assume ultimately led to his uh, his injuries, but you know, just a really fun player to watch. And uh, happy birthday, dude! Hey, man. <laughs> 34, Tim Lincecum. Good stuff. On 616, yeah. Wally Joyner turned 56. Wally World! <laughs> Wally World! 56 for Mr. M- Mr. Joyner. Now, I remember in, um, when I got into the hobby in 1988, uh, he was still considered uh, a, you know, one of the guys to, to watch. He came up in 86 and his, with the Angels, and uh, he, I still... You know, when I see his rookie cards in like five and ten dime boxes, I'm like, yeah, I'll grab another one of those. Like, Joiner is a <laughs> he's a part of the that that old like '80s group where I'm like, that fits really well in my collection because of the the story behind Wally Joiner. I I went into a shop and they had the the Tiffany of his '87 tops in a PSA 10, and Ooh. I think they wanted like ten, eight to ten bucks for it. And I was like, I'll just grab that. I'm Steel. good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a great card to have. Uh, it's got the little like uh, All Star Rookie Cup logo on it. I think yeah, those, are, yeah. those are really cool. But well, he has an interesting story with Upper Deck. When Upper Deck was being formed, um, he was included in a promo set with he and Dwayne Bice, a couple different <laughs> versions of these cards because they were angels. That was those were the two guys they they decided to include into the the, the promo uh, run of cards, which I think was just the two cards with he and him Joiner, uh, Dwayne Bice and Joiner. But Joiner came up with with uh, the Angels, and, and he was an All Star in '86 when he came up, which is you know he had 290 batting average, 22 home runs, 172 hits. That's like pretty significant stuff. He had a pretty solid career. I don't think he's Hall of Fame worthy. But I think that he certainly has his brand cemented into the to baseball history, and I really like that about Mr. Joyner. And he's he's certainly a product of my early years in collecting. Absolutely, I think if you're an Angels fan, Wally Joyner is just sort of part of your lexicon, whether or not you grew up with him or not. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like a very charismatic guy, mm-hmm. and um. He had some great years. Like you said, he didn't really live up to the expectations later in his career. But uh, really fun guy to watch. And I think my favorite trivia about Wally Joyner, which really isn't about Wally Joyner, but it's <laughs> it's about the rookie of the year voting mm-hmm. in 1986. So Wally Joyner came in second place. Yeah. Do you know who came? Who, do you know who came in first place in '86? Jose Canseco. '86. You know, like <laughs> Jose. There you go. Was that Jose Canseco? You got it. Jose Canseco yeah, okay, was, so like, was first I, place rookie of the year. Yeah. So he's he's uh that doesn't surprise me whatsoever at all in no capacity. I, Jose Canseco yeah, getting obviously. rookie of the year in 1986. That's makes total sense. <laughs> total sense. But now, yeah. So Wally Joyner, he I mean he he definitely would have won if it were not for the behemoth of Jose Canseco. Right. Um, so happy birthday, 56 years old, Wally Joyner. Yeah. And 618, Sandy Alomar Jr. turned 52. Mm. And now, man, I remember in that 89 that he was one of the big rookies. He and uh, it was a Griffey, Randy Johnson, John Smoltz, 
Uh, Craig Biggio was a rookie, although the, the popularity around him hadn't yet buzzed. Uh, mm-hmm. But Sandy Alomar Jr. was in that group. He was like one of the guys to get in rookie cards. Oh, Gary Sheffield was another one of you know like guys to to get in the '89 block. Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember collecting his '89 Don Russ, his '89 Upper Deck, his '89 Tops. He was I, I would file his cards when I'd pull them. Like oh, Sandy Alomar Jr. I mean oh yeah. He was he was a product of my my youth collecting my early years of collecting certainly, absolutely. I mean that last name just because his dad and his brother, mm-hmm. Al, like whenever I saw Alomar when I was a kid collecting and to this day whenever I see it I'm just like all right, set that aside because this is, that's the baseball family. Fifty two once again makes me feel old but <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well he had a twenty year career. And he was actually yeah. a rookie of the year in 1990. He made he got that status. Uh, there's still a market for his stuff. I've noticed guys collect Sandy Alomar high end pieces. I don't know if it's because of set builders or what, but his high end stuff still performs pretty well in the market. So, yeah, happy birthday, Mr. Sandy Alomar Jr. At 52, good stuff. Uh, today would have been the 26th birthday of Mr. Oscar Tavares. We lost him uh, a, a couple of four years ago. Mm. Sadly, he was a huge potential, and it's so sad when Jeez. guys when guys come up and then we they we don't see them. Like that's it's upsetting, right? Yeah. So he would have been 26 today. So young, young kid. But um, happy birthday, Mr. Oscar Tavares. Happy birthday, Oscar. I mean. I still remember waking up to that news. Horrible. It was such a shame. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the way if 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 his accident wouldn't have happened, I mean, St. Louis is a franchise they were sort of building themselves around this guy. He mm-hmm. was such a talent. Yeah. And obviously they haven't really been as competitive in recent years. And I think it's because they were sort of betting on him being the sort of future face of the franchise. Yeah. And yeah, when he, when he went down, it was just such a bummer because you knew that St. Louis was going to take such a huge hit. And, uh, yeah, it impacted the hobby too. I mean, it impacted yo, the teams, it impacted I the mean, families. And it, I mean, it's just yes. when people die, so many people are affected by that. And so kind of a sad note to end on in that capacity that today was, would have been his 26th birthday, but, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes just wanted to touch on that cause I think that was important to bring up. Absolutely. Those are our five birthdays for this week. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I think you for tuning into the Radicards cards podcast and radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Reno. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us. And until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting. <laughs>